Chapter Six of Outlaws of Ravenhurst by Sister Emma Melda Wallace, S.L. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. By the old fireplace. This is the old Earl's room. It will be yours now," said Nurse Benson, swinging open a great carved door. May you have a good night's rest, my lord. The aged servant bowed and closed the door, leaving Gordon alone in a large room. Now, this makes two people here that I like. There's my mother, and there's Benson. Nurse says she cared for my father when he was a wee bit barney. That's why she gave me pigeon pie. He always wanted pigeon pie. Oh, what a beautiful fireplace. Indeed, it was a fine piece of Flemish carving. Two yeomen standing on the hearth held the mantle on their spears. The shelf was bare, covered only with white linen. At the end of it two knights stood crossing swords above a picture. Above it hung a great pair of antlers. Those deer horns must be old fire the braes. Uncle said they were in here. I wonder, is that his picture too? The boy held up the candle to examine it. The painting represented an old warrior, white-haired but large and strong of limb, a kind face that smiled at one, and the jaw squared to ugliness. It cannot be Fire the Braze. He lived so long ago. Perhaps it is the Gordon o' the Lang Sword. But where in the world did they get that picture of me? For a lad stood by the warrior's knee, who smiled from the canvas with a face Gordon had seen too often in the fishing pole not to recognize. Then other memories came. He saw another fireplace, not so beautiful as this, but wide and low and very comfortable. Mary Abel at one end of the hearth, spinning with swift, sure fingers. Daddy at the other end, his pipe in the corner of his mouth. The zip-zip-zer of his wet stone on the axe. Joel and the twins rolling over one another on the cabin floor. The boy leaned against the fireplace and cried for the first time, since he had seen the last bit of smoke from the Abel cabin slipping behind the trees. There was a gentle touch on his arm. We never place anything on this mantle, my son. And a white hand raised the candlestick. Are you lonesome in this grand old house? I was thinking of Joel and the folks at home. I couldn't even say goodbye. Lady Margaret sat down in a wide armchair and drew the boy down beside her. Who is this Joel, my son? Joel, he's my twin. I mean, we always thought we were twins. I didn't bid him goodbye. Then, with a little wonder in his voice, But you are not angry. Uncle Roger was angry at me because I cried for my folks. He thinks being poor is a disgrace. Gordon, said his mother earnestly, I should indeed be grieved if you had no love in your heart for that woman who, in spite of her poverty, took a homeless babe to her heart and was so true a mother that you never dreamed you were not her son. Some day, if God gives you your rights, you must do great things for them. But all that we can do now is to write and let them know of your safe arrival. Oh, that would please them. Daddy couldn't read it, but they'll wait till Father Cornwall comes. Father Cornwall. Lady Margaret's face lost all its gentleness. Her eyes were as stern as the old Douglas Steele. Oh, why did everyone hate the faith he had been taught to love? 
His hand gripped the arm of the chair till the knuckles stood out hard and white. Yet he looked straight into those stern eyes and answered, The Abels are Catholic, and I am a Catholic too. His mother was not looking at him now. Her eyes were fixed on the old fireplace with a look of deepest joy. Holy Mother of God, she was saying, I thank thee that thou hast kept thy trust. Mother, if you are a Catholic, what made you look at me like that? I wish to learn of what metal you are formed, my son. There is one weakling in the house of Gordon. Had you shown a spirit like Sir Roger's, had your will bent because you feared me, I would have disowned you, my son, though it broke my heart. The Earl of Ravenhurst must always stand for God and our Blessed Lady, let the cost be what it may. A gleam came into Lady Margaret's eyes. Now, most noble Sir Paul Pry, now will the Countess of Ravenhurst conform herself to those laws of Scotland. I fit herself most snugly into this first opportunity. The good uncle is very busy talking about himself, and all he has done, or maybe not done, in the colonies. The cunning Godfrey also is busy. He must needs open the chest and show the wampum, the tomahawks, and even a bearskin, though I doubt somewhat the truth of Sir Roger's tale, of his great bravery in killing the monster. Killing the bear? He is not claiming my pelt, is he? He didn't have a thing to do with it. I killed that bear myself. You killed that beast? Did you more than help some hunter just a little? The old bear had us treed. She rammed her snout right up on the gun. I couldn't have missed her if I had tried. My son, I came here tonight to speak of things more important than a bear's pelt. There was that in her voice which made the boy look up with swift constraint of every muscle. Lady Margaret smiled, for she saw the war spirit that pulsed in his frame, and she knew him to be worthy of her confidence, though but a boy in hand and heart and brain. I have much to tell you this night, my son, she said, and her deep eyes seemed to read his soul. Things of import, matters that could not be trusted to a coward. It was for this reason that I tried your metal, boy, and your mother's heart was glad to hear it ring back true, Gordon Steele. Of the things I tell you this night, speak nothing. You are yet a boy and do not know friend from foe. Whatever be your need, put no trust in Godfrey Bertrandson. The lad's brow drew up in a puzzle. I thought you were going to say not to trust Uncle Roger, he blurted. Lady Margaret laughed. Why should I warn where there is no danger? You have already taken the measure of Sir Roger. But I warn you, trust nothing to Godfrey Bertrandson. Then suddenly, after a pause, like an arrow shot from under a shield, the mother sent a question. What do you know about your father? The boy frowned a moment, as if searching his memory. Not much, mother. I guess his name is all they told me. She seemed relieved. So you shall learn of him from me, and that is well, she said. There was in her eyes a look deep, unfathomable, as if a mingling of joy and pain. I was an orphan in this house, she continued, a child of Douglas blood, but penniless. James was Earl of Ravenhurst, not as it is today, but as it was in the time of which you will learn, a bleak winter time of poverty and pain. 
yet there are gifts that gold and fame can never buy for god alone has the giving of them god gave to james and me a love that was blessed before his throne in heaven here standing before this fireplace we were married you smile my son some day you will know that this great room in the seaward tower is the room of memories to all of gordon blood and this fireplace is a sacred thing to all who know its history james and i had waited long for our wedding day because no priest had come this way in many years he was no longer young nor was i but we would have gone single to our graves rather than be wedded by any other than a priest of god's holy church god sent his minister to us and the castle rang with mirth and song never was there a gayer wedding nor was there one laugh less light because both bridal pair and merry-making clan had nothing but oatcake and ale to feast upon three years god gave joy to james and me and then he sent the cross my son for it was ten years ago on this very night that the king's dragoons came for your father james was standing by my side as i lay on the couch yonder he thought me to be dying we could hear the heavy boots of the soldiers champing in the hall below courage little comrade-at-arms he whispered the battle lowers the bugle of christ calls forward shall we falter in the charge we follow a leader crucified then came the clanking of their armor as they climbed the stairs james took you from my arms wee bit of a newborn babe that you were and carried you over to the fireplace a little image of our lady used to stand there he laid you down before it and prayed holy mother of god margaret is dying i am going god knows where see there is no one to guard the faith of our child holy mother we leave him in your care james brought you back to me fear nothing margaret he whispered the blessed mother never yet has failed those who trust in her then he kissed us both and went out and the dragoons took him but my son i would that you should know the joy in my heart this night when i see how faithfully our lady has kept her trust o oh, son we shall cling to each other and trust the sweet mother of god where is my father now asked the boy his bright eyes wide with wondering love god alone knows she answered i never learned what befell him so many years have passed that i hope he is dead hope that he is dead yes gordon i hope that my brave and noble james is dead for if he is dead he is with other martyred gordons who stand before the great white throne but if he is living he is in some foul dungeon suffering hunger thirst the rack i know not what margaret was not weeping she had borne her pain too long for that but the lad knew now why his mother's hair was white and in his childish way he strove to comfort her mother the boy ventured perhaps you see father cornwall was so wise i guess all priests must be the next time we go to mass the priest could help us find out about father lady margaret smiled he was so eager to comfort her so powerless my son you have forgotten that we do not live in mary's land beyond the sea I have been present at Holy Mass five times in my life. Even should the Holy Sacrifice be offered near us, there would be small chance of our being there. 
Sir Roger watches like a hawk. I shall tell you what I do. When on a Sunday I am longing to live in lands where mass bells ring, I come in here and kneel before the old fireplace. This is the sacred relic of the house of Gordon. Many times in bygone years the priest of God made of this mantle an altar. Many times within these walls the angels cover their faces with their wings, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God of hosts. Once did wicked men spill here the blood of God. That silver spot upon the hearth marks the place where the drops of precious blood fell years and years ago. Therefore, to this holy room I come, and kneel by the fireplace, and pray a while, and kiss that little silver spot, and beg the good Lord Christ to come to me in spirit, since I cannot receive him in the holy sacrament. You can do this, too, but we must not come together, and we must not stay more than two or three minutes. If Sir Roger were to learn of it, even this small comfort would be denied us. Uncle Roger is mean to you, cried the boy with sudden anger. But now that I am here, if he dares say a thing to you, I'll— You will keep your temper and say nothing. That is what you will do when things go wrong. If you fly into a passion, you will do great harm and no good. Keep this little thought to be your comfort at such times. Nothing Roger says can wound. Only those we love can cause us grief. Let me see you growing up day by day, such a son as the child of such a father should be. Then your mother will be a happy woman, come what may. Gordon felt the strength of her will across his own, and the love in his heart for her deepened into reverence. They were silent for a time, and when his mother spoke again, it was of other things. You have not yet told me of those kind folks who gave you shelter in your childhood, she said. How was it that they found you? There was something in her tone that made him wonder at her question. I don't know much about it, he answered, and again he noted a look of relief in the depths of her eyes. Daddy said that Father Cornwall found me and brought me to them. They named me George, because I called myself Doherty. Did you say anything else? Only to ask for Dunky Tiwi. Do they tell Roger that? Lady Margaret's voice was swift and sharp. No, cried Gordon, startled at her tone. Thank God, she said, and smiled at his troubled face. It was for your Uncle Stephen that you called. Well, indeed, would Roger know the meaning of your wail for Dunky Tiwi, and one more nail will be driven into my poor brother's coffin. The puzzled boy stared at her. You were lost a long time from Uncle Roger, but you were not lost at all from your mother, my son. After the dragoons took your father, I was ill for many months. A year later they again thought me to be dying. Even faithful Benson thought my last hour had come, and she sent a messenger from my brother. Your Uncle Stephen is one of our brave hunted priests that neither prison nor the fear of death can drive from Scotland. He came at the risk of his life to give me the last rites of Holy Church, and took you with him, promising to find a home for you where your faith would be guarded. He passed out with you, hidden under his long grey cloak. A trusty clansman rode him to a sea-going frigate. I had supposed that my brother meant to take you to France, and place you with our kinsman, Cardinal Beaton. But Stephen is a saint, and saints do not reason as worldly people do. 
he considered your soul alone and placed you where he thought that pearl most safe i was not pleased with his choice but he said where was the only son of the king of kings placed in a castle or a cot i said no more for stephen is a saint why didn't uncle tell daddy abel instead of just setting me down by the roadside that was a queer thing to do rather it was a wise thing to do had this kind farmer known whose child he took into his house sir roger would have put him in prison for helping to kidnap you neither did stephen go to a strange land and set you down by a roadside and leave you to the hand of chance he knew well the wisdom and charity of the good priest to whom he entrusted you and he remained in hiding a few weeks till he learned what manner of man was the john abel in whose care you were then my son when stephen and our trusty clansmen thought the time was right for your return we paid a seaman to give sir roger a clue that he might search for you and bring you back to us but it is also queer mother now there is this picture of me you have over the fireplace how did you get it lady margaret laughed this is not your portrait it is your father's now do you know why it takes but a glance to let any clansman know whose son you are and the old warrior is he gordon of the langsword oh no that is your great-grandfather angus gordon commonly called the old earl the boy was a bit disappointed i never heard of an angus gordon i thought he looked brave enough to be langsword godfrey said he was the greatest earl of them all no doubt godfrey thinks so but i shall tell you of both these heroes and you shall say which was the braver knight it is not titles lands and gold that make a man great you shall learn who are the great men of your house and who have done heroes deeds and why this old fireplace is sacred to all of gordon blood lady margaret smiled and there was triumph in her glance then her look grew suddenly grave my son i shall tell you many tales in time yet lest unknown need should catch you unprepared i must give you one more word of warning if you have need of help in any hour of trouble call on benson failing her old edwin the gate warden is true but be watchful sometimes walls have ears and do not speak unless your need is very great trust no one else should you be forced even to fly from the castle you have loyal clansmen living in the fastnesses of benender's glens their chief and the best of them all is muckle john o the cluth a secret passage opens from this old fireplace the same way by which you fled when friar stephen carried you in his arms it is not known to sir roger there is a spring in the hand of the wooden soldier on the right side of the mantle turn the sword twice to the right and press down the panel on the left of the fireplace will slide back into the wall this is the beginning of the passage the end is in the woodland near ben ender when once in the open make your way to the frith and follow the shore to the glen but mother interrupted the boy a look of apprehension darkening his eyes if we had to go away you would be with me and you would know where the paths are lady margaret did not answer the white fingers clenched on the arm of the chair but only for a moment it is not wise to face trouble till it comes she said with strange quietness be brave and silent my son 
we shall trust to God and Our Lady, hoping that all may go well. She had given these instructions in a tense, clear, exceedingly low tone, her lips scarcely moving. But with the last word, her voice rose to a merry note, and she began to sing a sweet old ballad about a Douglas lost in battle for the love of the heart of the Bruce. Something in her eye told the boy to ask no question. Half instinctively, Gordon realized that there had been a sound in the outer hall a moment or so before, and he heard it again, a faint creaking, as if a weight were against the door. End of chapter 6